Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a place dedicated to the discussion of Christian faith in 21st century life. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So join us as we endeavor to understand 21st century life through the lens of Christian faith. I'm your host, Alan Bevere, pastor, professor, author, and lover of Five Alarm Food. Come and seek with me. Good day, everybody. Welcome to another Face Seeking Understanding. I am Alan Bevere, your host. I am a pastor, retired, a professor, Bible moth, theologian in exile, and a peddler of hope. And I am the self-appointed Anselm of Canterbury, chair of podcast theology and culture here at Face Seeking Understanding University, a completely fabricated institution of higher learning <laughs> where all people are invited to ponder profound things free of charge. Michael, I wonder how old, I wonder if that shtick is getting old. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> but it's very true. <laughs> it is. It's all true. It's all, it's all absolutely true. Yeah. So anyway, Michael Cruz uh, yes. here on Calmly Considered, who is the Grand Poobah Chair of Economics yes. and Public Theology here at FSUU. And uh, before we get into the conversation, I want to do something mm -hmm. new today that we're going to do. Yes, uh, we're going to we're going to uh, I, I haven't done this before, but I'm going to tell those of us who are watching us on YouTube. If you get a chance, please click, please click the subscribe button that there helps us get exposure. It doesn't cost yeah. anything. Just click the subscribe button. Leave us a thumbs up if you like uh, what we're an episode. If you dislike an episode, you can give us a thumbs down, but be gentle because we, we have fragile psyches. And by the like way, it. by the way, if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss in the future, put it in the comments. I mean, we can't can't guarantee that we will discuss it. You know, we kind of, you know, we, like we'll draw the line at the at the mating habits of capuchin monkeys. But <laughs> unless, unless Michael, I don't know, you're a widely read guy. Maybe you've read on that. Just happened to be an expert on that one. I, yeah. <laughs> um, but leave 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 uh, suggestions yeah. for us. We'll try and we'll try and uh, accommodate that if we can. All right, now, Michael, how are you? I'm doing great, doing yeah. well. My Royals have won six games in a row. Your Royals are hot, and my Guardians are. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, they've made some interesting trades, and uh, there yeah. are some. Of course, there are some. Cleveland fans, or uh, yeah, Guardian fans who are in a panic saying we've already given up on this season. I don't yeah. tend to think that. I, I'm a big fan of yeah. Tito Francona, and yeah. uh, I think he makes good decisions. And so I don't think he's given up on it at all. I think he is, I think he's trying to position us for a playoff run, but is also thinking about yeah. the future. But it is just kind of interesting to watch this uh, kind of kind of play. Yeah. It is. Well, I mean, in the I was looking last night, had the Twins lost last night, yeah, there wouldn't have been a team in the American League Central with a winning record. And meanwhile, in the American League East, all the teams have a winning record. So uh, yeah, yeah, the, the uh, Guardians are in second place in that Central where nobody has winning records. So they yeah. they still got plenty of hope. Yeah, the American twenty one yep. games back. We're not yeah. going anywhere, but yeah. it's fun to watch them win six games in a row. Absolutely right. The American <laughs> League Central, where mediocrity thrives. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, all um, right. Well, let's get to the subject at hand. This one I'm excited about, Michael. I think I think this is going to be a good conversation. The Supreme yeah. Court, guardians of the Constitution, or 
judicial legislators. <laughs> depends who you talk to. It yes, depends it who gets the decisions they want. You know what I mean? Um, so let me just begin quickly with some a couple of things and then we'll move forward. I want to read, I want to read from Article 3, Section 1 of the Constitution that that uh, makes for the court. It says the judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. The judges both of the Supreme and inferior courts shall hold their offices during good behavior and shall at stated time receive their services, receive for their services a compensation which shall not be diminished during their continuance in office. All right. That's it. Okay. That's there the Supreme go. Court. Now, uh, a little bit of history here to get into the justice situation. So when the Supreme Court started under Washington, there were six justices. And, uh, you know, when people hear that, they immediately think six. Well, man, you have a lot of tie votes. Well, in, 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 in uh, the early days of the Republic, they weren't worried about that because the vast majority of judges were federalists. <laughs> So, right. right. So again, let's so we can uh, define our, our terms here. Federalists like Washington and Adams tended to believe that we needed a strong central government. So they, you know, they wanted to uh, uh, ensure that. So they wanted to put more power in the hands of the federal government, whereas uh, Republicans uh, do not think today's Republican Party, uh, the Republicans of Thomas Jefferson. Some I think they were initially called the Democratic Republicans. They they much more believed uh, in decentralization or states' rights. That they wanted uh, more power to be given to the states. They did not want a real strong central government. So, so you get six justices at the beginning. The Federalists are in control, so they're not really interested, worried about tie votes. So it started with six, um, but right from the beginning, politics enters into it. So John Adams is president. He uh, loses after his first term to Thomas Jefferson. Okay, Adams is a Federalist. Jefferson is a is a uh, Democratic Republican. And uh, bef after the election and before Jefferson's inauguration, the Supreme Court Justice, this Chief Justice of the United States, resigns. Uh, Adams, uh, you know, we have this long conversation, should presidents make appointments after elections, you know, after they are going out of office. Adams didn't care about that. He appointed <laughs> Chief Justice John Marshall, who who still is uh, probably the most influential figure on the court. Right. He really shaped right. the court. Right. And he served right. for I don't know how many years. Um, and and um, the other thing he did just to just to uh, thumb his nose at Thomas Jefferson was he reduced the number of justices from six to five. So mm -hmm. to keep to keep Jefferson from making an appointment. <laughs> during his... <laughs> oh, Michael, you know, the stories are the same. But the names have been changed, but the guilty are still there. Right now, I want to stop there because I'm talking too much. I want to continue. That's this, why I want to get your response. Well, I'd oh, just say history repeats itself. Uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. It you know, rhymes. it's a, yeah. it's a, um, and I think one of the things to emphasize is that in the creation of that Supreme Court, and I think it's probably still true today, this idea of a court, and I should say it's not explicitly stated in the Constitution that the Supreme Court has the ability to review laws, although many of the founders had assumed that in their own writings and had said that. 
And there were state Supreme Courts, essentially, that were already doing that. So a lot of them made that assumption, even though it's not explicitly stated. But that ability to do that is extremely unique. I don't know if there's another country. Certain, I don't think there's any other major power in the world that has a government system set up like that. So yeah. th this is something really new that, yeah. that the United States set up with this ability of a court to review both the laws that are made by Congress and to review the uh, actions of an executive uh, in, in the president's uh, yeah. role to be able to declare those unconstitutional. So and, it's and also I, very and, and along with that, I don't think we realize how important for these early founders the law as something that uh, administers justice it right. was. You know, when you read, and, and in, in many ways, they're still working a lot of this out. But, but you know, John Adams, when he is a young lawyer, defends the uh, soldiers of the Boston Massacre. Not a popular right. thing for him to do. But he does it because he says that in a free country, no one should... Uh, should go without counsel. So he's got this right. moral, this moral position that even if, even if the worst villain and everybody knows is guilty gets arrested, uh, that person is entitled to a fair trial. Right. But 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 you know. So for example, it's in the it's during the Boston massacre that that uh, Adams uses the language of uh, guilty beyond reasonable doubt. That enters into the yeah. vernacular right then. So this right, all yeah. this stuff's kind of happening on the ground, right? Uh, but but their concern that the law provides guardrails against tyranny is really important. Yeah, equal yeah. justice under the law. Equal justice under the law. Over the, the Supreme Court building, I think that's the etched in yep. stone. Yep, so, yep, yeah. yep. So anyway, so to get back to Adams real quick, so Adams leads off as Jefferson. He's got his five Supreme Court justices. Um, he John Marshall, by the way, is Jefferson's cousin. And they don't get along. Well, well, <laughs> let's say it this way. Jefferson seethes at his cousin's decisions on the court because mm -hmm. every time Jefferson wants to do something, uh, the Supreme Court manages to say, no, you can't do that. So they're actually at one point Jefferson. Now, remember, Jefferson doesn't have a hand in writing the Constitution of the United States because he's off in France. He's an ambassador. Right. So during his administration, he tries to abolish the court. He wants to abolish <laughs> the court as it's getting in the way of the will of the people. Well, of course, this doesn't happen. Right. So um, the 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 nine justices that we have really the first time that happens is eighteen sixty nine, um, uh, for sure. For for sure, uh, Lincoln increases it to ten again for the same reasons. Uh, you know, court packing, we're calling it. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons it goes to nine is simply because as the country is growing and you have circuit courts and more circuit courts, right. remember, justices are assigned circuit courts right. know, where, where they review petitions from circuit courts. And remember, it isn't today, like a lot of it, I'm sure, is done by email and fax. And we don't use fax anymore, phones and things like that. Right. Just, Supreme justices have to ride. They got to go to these places. So right, you need right. more justices. So so we get nine, and that's the standard. Uh, Roosevelt <laughs> uh, it, it gets really irritated because the Supreme Court is not giving him a lot of what he wants during his presidency. So he comes up with an idea to increase the number from nine to 15 justices. Right, really exactly. pack the court. Problem yeah. is he's got a Republican Congress, and they ain't yeah. going to let that happen. So it right. doesn't happen. So 
what I want to say here, Michael, and this is kind of one of the first things I want to talk about, is we've got nine justices. Uh, again, the Constitution does not mandate number. I personally do not see a reason ever to increase that number. I I don't know what judicial law you can make other than I don't other than I don't like the decisions the court is making. So we need right. to make more justices so that we can get what we want. You know, the problem is, Michael, that's a short sighted political perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah because sure if is. you yeah. increase it, you increase yeah. it to 11. At some point, that's going to come back to bite you. Right. Then yeah. this politicians are famous for doing this stuff. Yes. I yes. can't see a reason. I can't see a reason to diminish the number, but I sure can't see a reason to increase the number. I think nine works out fine and it's worked out fine. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. I mean, I, I don't I don't think. Uh, as you said, there's always been rancor about exactly what the Supreme Court's supposed to do and are their decisions the right decisions and so on. So there's always been an element of that. The the system that is set out in the Constitution is an ideal system, and it mm -hmm. is an ideal system that is occupied by imperfect uh, people, <laughs> and uh, so it will never be perfect. And so the idea is: is it sufficiently good enough that there are checks and balances that hold that Supreme Court itself within certain guardrails? It's trying to hold the legislature and the uh, executive branch and within certain guardrails. But I think there are political guardrails that hold the Supreme Court check as well, too, because the Supreme Court doesn't have an army. They don't have a police force. What they have to rely on is the um, people granting them the authority to, to acquiesce to what the decisions are that they make. If they go too far to the extreme, then you could have simply have a president refusing to enforce uh, what the Supreme Court says, or legislatures just ignoring the Supreme Court. So they, to some degree, have uh, incentive not to to go outside yeah. the guardrails very far either. And that's where a lot of this comes in. We keep looking for the perfect system, mm -hmm. where the system itself is what's going to, to ensure that we don't have corruption or bias in that type. There is no system that does that. Right. And there's systems that place checks on it to keep it from going to extremes. But it's always up to the citizens, the people of the country, to keep their institutions from going off the deep end and, yeah. and to get tools to do that. And, yeah. and I think I want to say here that I actually think uh, John Roberts, our current chief justice, I think he has a concern about that. They're keeping the yes. guardrails in place because of some of the ways he's voted on certain decisions, which are not necessarily decisions that you would think a justice with a more conservative judicial philosophy would vote. That doesn't mean that he always right. has to toe the line, but, but he does right. have a sense that he doesn't want the court. It's not good for the court right. to run away uh, to either extreme. Right. I, I think he's got a sense of that. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, um, I also found it interesting recently because I do want to talk about the kinds of um, questions that come up recently with uh, Supreme Court justices and and uh, ethics and, you know, um, uh, currying favors. I, I found it interesting that Justice Alito recently said that the that the Congress didn't have any power uh, to <laughs> impose ethics uh conduct on the Supreme Court justices. And I'm not sure where yeah. that came from. Yeah. Be because, that the Constitution? 
Where is that in the Constitution? And just judges, the Congress has impeached judges. So I, I'm not so sure where he gets that. Um, I want to talk. I want to talk about that in a, in a couple of minutes because I do think I do think the question of um, being above reproach matters. That that right. yeah, you're right. The system is not perfect. Uh, you get bad decisions. You get this, that, or the other. But at the end of the day, people in positions of power and authority need to be above reproach and that includes also also being very concerned about even appearance exactly and and so i'm very disconcerted that i guess we're talking about this now i'm very disconcerted that some of the stuff that's come out recently about uh clarence thomas samuel alito and mm-hmm. I think I think son, uh, Justice Sotomayor too has had some questions about about what what appears to be occurring favors with people who may have a stake in upcoming decisions by the right. court. I right. I find that really troubling, yeah. uh, and I again on on both sides. And you know, just to give you an example, I was always a stickler about this when I was a pastor, and I would have people when I was at a church, I'd have somebody who owned beachfront property somewhere. And they would say to me, anytime you want to use the house, you know, free of charge, we'll let you do it. You know, and I thank them for that. And I never took them up on it because as much as I would love a a week at the beach and not have to pay for a beach house, I was concerned of the optics of that. I was concerned that people would, that if we had a difficult decision to make at the church or something like that, and I gave my support behind somebody who was doing those kinds of things a lot for me, that that right. would not look right. And right. I refused to do that. I, I refused yeah. uh, because Good. I didn't like the looks of it. Right. I I mean, I think when you're in these kinds of positions, I, 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 I'm I sorry. I, I'm sorry, Clarence Thomas. I mean, I think if somebody wants to give you a fishing trip to Canada, who is somebody who, lay, who knows there's a decision coming up, they have a stake in, I think you need to say no. I think right. you need to say no. I right. I have concerns about this. What, do you, what are your thoughts right. I, I totally agree. I mean, as I was saying a second ago, the Supreme Court's uh, ability to be a functioning institution relies almost entirely on the goodwill and the belief that they are going to operate impartially as a court. Yeah. And so even the appearance, it's, it's not just a matter of not doing things wrong, it's avoiding the appearance of even doing things wrong. Yeah. Because you need to to manufacture, not manufacture, is not the right word, but you you need to consistently reinforce the idea that you are going to be impartial uh, on the court. And that it just since whether it's harmless or not, it, it's not harmless in terms of what it does in terms of eroding people's uh, trust in, in yeah. what's happening with the court. So I think that that's, that's how I look at it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. That's good. So so one thing I, I don't want to do here is get into specific decisions and, and talk mm-hmm. about them because that's that in in popular conversation, that's really what the, the discussion centers around, right. and, and it should. I mean, I, I'm not saying it shouldn't, but but I also uh, think that sometimes uh, what 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 often gets lost is just the judicial process and 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 looking at the law and deciding laws. Um, I it is my conviction, and I. I I don't think I should have to defend it, but I believe that when the average American says 
something is or isn't constitutional, what they really mean is that's a law I agree with. There, I like that law, yeah. therefore it's constitutional. Or I don't right. like that law, therefore it's not constitutional. I don't expect people to have any other different opinions. We're, we're not you and I, and you and I are not trained in constitutional yeah. law. But right. but but it's but that's not the way it works. The, the, right. the, you you don't decide. I don't decide what I like must be constitutional, and therefore what I dislike is is unconstitutional. And you told me. Uh, a month ago, when we were talking about the recent decision on affirmative action that you tried to find, I, I, I'll stop there. I'm going to let you tell the story because I think it illuminates the problem. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I rarely watch cable news anymore. I just find it too annoying. But occasionally when a breaking story pops up, I, I go on to the cable news to see what informed uh, people, their pundits have to say about the ruling to, so I can learn a little bit more about it. I, I like hearing what they have to say. So. As in going from one channel to the next, all I'm getting is how this is going to harm this group and how that's going to hurt this these people here. And so, and I'm like, how do I know that? What is in the ruling? What did the ruling actually say? What did it? What what was its rationale and what did it say? And I kept going from channel to channel and back and forth and listening to all these people talk, and I could never get the answer. And I went online and I started searching news stories. And I think finally about the third or fourth try, I got to an NPR story that laid out in quotation marks, here's what the thing said, and here's how they rationalized the, the and I'm like, finally, thank you. You know, I, and, and so I'm trying to figure out what was said. And from there, I can begin then to think about what are the implications of this and, and what do I, what do I think of the ruling? And like you said, I'm not going to get into the specifics of, of what I think about that ruling, but the the um, the reporting always going to the consequences. And of course, if you're pro the consequences that come out, it's a great ruling. If you dislike the consequences of the the ruling, then it's a terrible ruling. Neither of those say anything about is it in the Constitution or not? And what was the reason for for deciding what they decided? Yeah, or whether it is a- That's a, what I want to know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or whether it's a competent reading of the Constitution. I mean, exactly. I mean, this is what we don't yeah. get into. So one example, real quickly, as close as this, as close as I get to a conversation yeah. on a specific issue, the Dobbs right. decision on abortion overturning Roe v. Wade. In this right. country, there has been what I would call a very reasonable disagreement over whether yeah. abortion law should is is in the purview of the federal government or in the purview of the states right that that has been a reasonable judicial disagreement okay right. i don't care what right. what what side you fall on that's been a reasonable right. disagreement um but that's really not the center of the conversation publicly no. yeah. Yeah, right. I, I think well, a woman should have the right to choose. So the government should say, no, uh, right. no, you cannot law abortion. Uh, you know, pro-lifers say, I think uh, abortion ought to be outlawed. So it needs to go back to the states. And now that it's back to the states, let's see if we can try and make further laws to restrict it. Let's even it's let's even level. make laws yeah. that will will uh, uh, if a woman from Texas goes to Colorado and gets an abortion, she comes back, she's going to be arrested. So, right. so it yeah. isn't about this judicial argument about the authority right. of the federal government versus the states. It's right. I want this or I want that. And right. so I'm going to do by hook or crook whatever I can in the law to get it done. This is not right. the way to this is not the way to run a court. This is not the way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's yeah. just not the way. Right. And if you if you are um what's the word I'm looking for? 
if you are doing your job correctly on the court and you're truly trying to decide what the constitution says and you do that accurately and do that well, there's a good chance in many cases that you're not going to be liked by anybody. And because, because yeah. of, of what you've got, because their focus is not what does the constitution actually say, their issue is the outcome that they want to get. Right. And that's why I think it requires people of a particular mindset and of a particular backbone to be able to to be a Supreme Court justice to yeah. to do that kind of stuff well. Yeah. Well, yeah. and and the again, I'll say this before: this has been one of my mantras on all kinds of things. Just don't you can't listen to the politicians. You yeah. can't listen to the politicians because their job is not to do exactly what you just said. Their job right. is to spin this in their politics. And uh, so just just turn them off. Just don't listen to them when they talk about these kinds of things. Right. Um, so so let's talk. Let's talk. So as we get into that, let's talk about reading the Constitution and interpreting this. This is an important issue. It's important for me. You know, I I mean, I'm, I'm trained. I was trained in New Testament in, in part of what you're trained to do uh, is read texts and reading the Constitution is really no different from reading the New Testament or, frankly, Michael, reading the newspaper um, <laughs> that we all interpret. So the first thing right. that we need to say is when people say, just in, read, don't interpret the Constitution, just read it as it is. That does not happen. That right. does not exist in any world. We all right. interpret. We all bring our convictions, our biases, our stories, you know, all of that into what we read. And right. so when someone says we need judges who will just read the constitution uh and not interpret it sometimes it's called strict constructionism there's no such thing uh you know that's not the case is it we all and and judges have judicial philosophies we we right. talk about this you know whether it's more conservative or liberal i prefer i think it's more important or i shouldn't say that i think it's more illuminating not to call them judicial philosophies but call them interpretive bents yeah, that we okay. are all bent on how mm -hmm. uh, to read texts. Intent is important, what the writers initially, absolutely, but it's not just intent. By the way, there is something called precedent, stare decisis, which is the tradition of interpretation. So it isn't just right. what, what the founders meant when they wrote something. It's what right. courts down through history have interpreted it as what how to understand it. So the point is, is that we bring these things to our interpretation and our reading and the constitution. So when someone says from either side of the aisle, the other side is just step it up, the, you know, step it on the constitution or they're shredding it and ripping it. Well, yeah. no, yeah. there are, I mean, and I want to say, Michael, you're a Presbyterian. I'm a United <laughs> Methodist. Boy, if you want to see, if you want to see competing uh, readings of scripture, just become a mainline Protestant. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah <laughs> right. Nobody yeah. is saying yeah. that the Bible is not important, but they're sure reading. Right. We're sure reading it uh, differently. Okay, I'm done. So right. go ahead. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like you know the the model for structuring churches is right there in the Bible. That's why we have everything from Baptist to Roman Catholics. You know, yeah. it's uh, yep. <laughs> it's just all right there. It's easy to interpret. Plain reading, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I think the there is a again this is going to extremes on either end. There, like you said, there is no strict um, interpretation of. I mean, a strict. What I'm trying to say, 
literal reading of the Constitution, that's all that you can do. There's, there's always layers on top of that. On the other hand, the Supreme Court is not just a super judiciary either that looks at things and says, oh, well, they once said that. Well, now this is what's more in vogue. Let's go do this thing instead. Right. Um, so they, they are bound uh, to some degree by, by, um, by those things that are, that are in the past. There's a, I was trying to remember what it was. The, I think Chesterton said something that tradition is the, uh, what was it? The prison of the- The tradition is the living faith of the dead. The living faith of the dead, but I, 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 that wasn't the exact quote. Well, anyway, I, I don't have the quote. Traditional right, tradition. Uh, by, by the way, I think that's Yaroslav uh, Pelikan, the church historian. It's okay. tradition is the living yeah. faith of the dead and okay. traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. There you go. Well, here, here's the one that I was going to that I was thinking from Chesterton. Tradition, oh, okay. is, tradition is the democracy of the dead. That's yes. what I was looking for. And Peter Kreft was writing, progressives, uh, for, for progressivism is the elitism of the living. That was his, so he was talking about those two. And so there's this sense of which we're smarter today. Those people didn't know what was in the past. We know better now. So we can just ignore what was said in the past yeah. and do this thing instead. That's also not an incorrect interpretation of the Constitution. Somebody posted recently on Facebook had this thing that said, rather than reading the minds of white slave-owning men who have been dead for two centuries, maybe we should just do the right things for people who are alive today. Yeah. And, and so yeah. there's this, this sort of idea that, well, that was written 200 years ago. It doesn't have any application for us today. Let's just do what we think is right. Yeah. Yeah, there is That's this not the Supreme Court. There um, is this Hebrus. And so yeah, yeah. You, you you have to you have to uh, take a look at the whole tradition and the history yeah. of interpretation. You also have to say, okay, we are in circumstances that were not the circumstances of the founders in many ways. Right. And that makes a difference uh for how you know, one of the things that strikes me, Michael, is that too yes. that that the law tends to follow society's customs and values so you know i mean just think about the amendments to the constitution we had a we we got an amendment to give in um women the right to vote to give uh african-american citizenship and the right to vote um other amendments those actually tend to tended to happen right because the culture was moving in that direction correct right now i i I, I'm no Jefferson scholar, right? I mean, I, I've read I've read Jefferson and I've read a lot on Jefferson. I'm not a scholar. I have a hunch. I shouldn't use Jefferson here because he didn't write the Constitution. Um, but I would have a hunch that if you ask certain persons who wrote the Constitution in 1789, right? If if blacks should vote, yeah. they would say no. Right. They're not intelligent enough. We get a lot of this, you know, we get a lot of this from from uh, the writings of the day. And so if you're going to take a quote unquote strict constructionist view of the Constitution. Right. We should never have amended it. Right. Same thing with women, by the way. Yeah. Right. Well, well yeah. And I think I, I think that's the issue is that they wrote the Constitution knowing that things would change in the future. And despite all of their best efforts and the wisdom that they had at the time they were not going to foresee and anticipate every potential conflict that could come out. And that's why in the constitution, you have the ability to amend the constitution. Right. 
And so you have a process for correcting those areas that you think are wrong. And so I think the, at one level, if you had tried to imagine every potential nuance and outcome that could happen from these large principles that are stated in the constitution, we'd have a constitution that would be volumes. There's no way you could lay out what all those are. Yeah. And so as, as events have happened and there was conflict and they needed to be decided, those things have emerged. Those aren't explicitly stated in the constitution. And so then it, often it becomes a more gray kind of what's, what's the just way to resolve this particular conflict between people's rights and what they want to accomplish that isn't explicitly resolved by the constitution. You've got to figure out a just way to do that. The other thing is too, that through amendments to the Constitution, sometimes we pass laws and sometimes we pass amendments that have consequences that we may not fully appreciate that could be good or bad um, in terms of how they develop. And I go back to thinking about the, uh, at the end of the Civil War, the 14th Amendment. And I remember doing, uh, reading on that when I was in graduate school uh, years ago, several books talking about the 14th Amendment that basically said that you couldn't uh, violate the rights of a citizen of the United States. Well, states had all these laws, uh, for instance, a state church. There are a handful of states that actually had a preference for a particular denomination. Um, you had other laws that restricted speech and things that, that states had. Well, one by one, and this is like a period of over 70 or 80 years, not, not <laughs> in a decade or two, that each of those rights that are in the Bill of Rights, those first 10 amendments to the Constitution, were then applied also to the states. It was originally designed that that was only going to apply to the federal government. Well, then as once the 14th Amendment came along, whether consciously understood or not, that 14th Amendment now said that all of those things that the federal government can't do, the states can now not do either because Every citizen of a state is also a citizen of the United States, and so therefore you can't violate their, their federal liberties. So did they think about that from the beginning? Well, you had to have justices that looked at the Constitution and were creating new guidelines and prohibiting certain behaviors that had never been prohibited before because something had changed in the Constitution and there was disagreement now about what to how that should be interpreted. So this idea that the Constitution doesn't um, lay out every possible disagreement that could happen. And the fact that the Constitution does change over time with amendments, which then creates new gray areas that have to be resolved, those can't be solved by strict literalist reading very often. And I also just come to the fact that sometimes the conflicts that we get into are two legitimate competing rights that are against each other, uh, that are both protected in the Constitution, but both can't be realized at the same time. Yeah. And so then, what? How does this? How do you reconcile what that is? How, who who decides what what the balance of behavior is supposed to be? So a lot of those become balancing acts, and that balancing act, there's no gray white line, or there's no white line as to what's right and what's wrong in those. And so you, anyway, you get what I'm saying is that there there's a lot of murkiness, a lot of grayness in a lot yeah. of in a lot of these that. Uh, does not allow for the the often strict it's this way or that way that uh, so many pundits uh, yeah to. for for all the arrogance of the enlightenment uh of the 18th century and some of our founders wholesale into that for all of that arrogance there was a realistic humility in in providing for the constitution to be amended because right. 
in countries where the constitution cannot be amended, you end up having to write a new constitution. Exactly. And, you know, it's real interesting, Michael. I think most people don't realize this, but but I I can't remember if it's every 10 or 20 years you Mm -hmm. on the ballot. If you you go to vote in in every 20 years, there will be a question on whether or not we should have a constitutional convention. Yeah. And it, yeah. of course, of course, it never passes. I always vote yeah. yes, because I'm just, you know, that's me. I'm just always, I'm always, I'm a contrarian. So when that question comes up, I say, yeah, let's have a constitutional convention. That'll be a lot of fun. Be fun. Yeah. <laughs> but, yes. but the point is, is that the, the founders realized there's no, there were all kinds of things that were going to come our way right. that they had right. just didn't anticipate. And so right. what they provided us was a framework, but you know, you've got it. So, so the way I here's here's what I say with uh, theology and doctrine. So, so I uh, and see if I can draw a parallel here. I say doctrine. Doctrine is the house in which the church lives. Doctrine right. is the foundation. It's the it's the uh, it's the studs. It's the two by fours. It's the trusses. It's all the stuff that makes the house available to stand right. uh, and makes it look. Theology is the way we move through the house. Theology is the way we decorate the furniture in the living room. Theology reflection is is done within the context of that constitutive doctrine of ours. Right. And I, you know, I kind of think that analogy works here. The Constitution is sort of the house in which right. we live as Americans in reference to the general understanding of law. And then... Right. You know, the rulings of the courts and the laws that we pass or don't pass are the way in which we live within that house. Right. And and the the persons who built the house didn't envision where you were going to put the dining room table or right. what color you were going to paint the walls. Right. right. They built the right. house. So the right. framers of the Constitution built the house. It's up to us within that the confines of that structure to then make the house a home in which we live in and order our society now is that a fair comparison i like it i think that i think that is a fair comparison um there's there needs to be some level of adaptation to be able to uh, to deal with changing circumstances well think of amendments think of amendments as additions to the building (laughs) there you go it's all right right (laughs) yeah additions or remodelings of remodelings uh, yeah yeah, of, of aspects of, of the house. And occasionally we we, uh, we we put on the addition and realize that was a mistake and we take it back off again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Prohibition, it, you know. It, it's so. one of the great things that w- with the law allows us to say, oops, we goofed. I mean, yeah. we, we made law, we made a law we should not have made. Now it's time to get rid of, you know, I mean, sometimes right. my, as you talked, you talked about decisions and we can't see all the consequences. You know, sometimes when you make a law, and and, and yeah. human beings. Sometimes when we human beings make a decision, at the time we think right. it's a real good idea, and then we right. start to live with it, like, <laughs> and we yeah. say, uh, "No, uh, we we're going to back." The the beauty of this is we can say, "You know what? We're not going to do that." You know, right. uh, we're not going to go there because it's obviously not worked out. Right. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you think? I mean, I um. I, we're living in a time. You talked about you talked about uh, trust in the institutions and the and the, right. the Supreme Court works be, when it's trusted. When when you've got um, 
we, we we're living in a time right now where where uh, there are certain elements that want to. I mean, it's not that, and, and I'm not talking about blind trust, right? I mean, I think healthy skepticism of our institutions is always a good thing. Um, but, but you know, there is just an onslaught in my, in the life, in at least the lifetime I haven't seen. I mean, this may have been in the 60s, but, you know, I was riding my tricycle then. Um, <laughs> but a, an onslaught of, of people really undermining our institutions at every turn whether right. it's the Supreme Court because people don't like their some of their decisions, uh, whether it's the Justice Department because people don't like uh, what they're pursuing, that, and again, I want to be clear, I'm not uh, rejecting serious criticism of our institutions, but right. it almost seems as if we have a cobble of voices uh, maybe I should say cacophony of voices. I never use that term, so let me use it today. Cacophony <laughs> of voices that their task is just for their own ends to just so reduce the trust in our institutions that our institutions struggle to function. Right. Well, that's that is the hallmark of authoritarianism. Yeah, is the the idea to so confusion and distrust so much that you can with your own uh, political power that you can state what how things are going to operate and not be held accountable yeah so i think that and we've always had some element of that uh in society at various times and expressed in various ways but yes i think they're particularly on uh, not to get partisan here but just particularly on the right right now it yeah. seems to have fallen almost entirely into that sense uh, if we're not going to get our way, then we're not going to participate. We're not going to go live in the house that you were talking about that was created by the Constitution. We're going to tear it down. Because it's not working for us. They destabilize it so we can tear it down and put up what we want. Yeah, That's that's how it feels to me very often. And by the way, let me say too, because uh, I've said this before, that right now the authoritarianism that is really coming out is coming from the right. That yeah. doesn't mean that left-wingers left can't become authoritarian. That's right. uh, all we got to do is have a decade or so where conservatives get a lot of what they want. And you will see a lot of left wing authoritarians wanting to do the exact same thing. Right. Because because it's not about the process by which we do these things. It's about getting what we want. Right. And if democracy, which is the process of of governing, isn't working for us, then we need right. to do something different. So we need to be so. So. You know, what I always say is we need to be careful that authoritarianism is not limited to one's political slant. Right. That that it's it's authoritarianism is born when when the the mechanisms of our government, society, whatever, are not having the results we want. And then one person comes along who says, I can fix it. Right. Right. That's the dilemma. So, right. so you know, Congress isn't going to fix it. The Supreme Court isn't going to fix it. Justice Department isn't going to fix it. But this one person here, he will fix it. And so let's right. go with him. That's authoritarianism. Right. And I, and I think the, the danger is, is that if, in this case, if the right succeeds with it, with its authoritarianism, 
It doesn't mean that it's going to be necessary to be able to hold on and retain that indefinitely. But what it is going to foster is that the left then begins to abandon democracy, begins to abandon those social institutions because they see that they couldn't get what they wanted in terms of playing by the rules. The right didn't play by the rules. They got what they wanted. Now those powers that are authoritarian on the left then begin to have more credence and more uh, sway because they can say, look, now we'll get what you guys wanted on the left. And, And then you end up with competing authoritarian uh factions yeah, yeah my my your uh, our our commitment to democracy isn't working so we're going to become authoritarian just like the guys on the other side of the aisle that's, that's a really good goes. and that's so so we're, the, so the authoritarianism does not have really anything to do with specific policies this is the one thing i right. hear but it's right. the policies they'll say people will say but it's the policies stop throw the policies yeah. out the window uh, right. Because because Hitler got power, people supported Hitler in part because the, because the economy was doing well. I right. mean, you know, and again, I'm not I'm not dissing a good economy. I benefit from right. a good economy just like anybody. But right. but these but but what happens is is the authoritarians get power because the people, even people who don't necessarily support the authoritarian, uh, right. are willing to allow it to happen because I've got a job. Right. And and so what happens? So it's not about the policies. It's about the style. It's about listen to the language. Listen right. to what is being said. The language matters. Uh, these things. Right. And and so so authoritarians can come from anywhere in politics. Right. It's it's so it's not it's not like left wingers are only thor- authority. I had someone say that to me one time that that that. Only left wingers can be author can be communists and fascists. It's like really, <laughs> what, what under you know where where, where yeah. did yeah no 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 I'm sorry, authoritarians fascism whether you want to call it communism on the left or fascism on the right authoritarianism right. comes from all political stripes. It's right. not policies. It's right. it's it's a way of government. Right. Right. Which which and- precludes by the way what we cherish as our democratic institutions. And that's if if there's a lot of problems with the terms of American exceptionalism, but if you want to use the term American exceptionalism, what has made America that that is exceptional is its form of government that it established that became the model in many ways and various aspects for other places around the world that has led to greater stability, right. freedom, prosperity, that that type of thing. Right. Very imperfect, needed modification. It has grown and improved. And needs to grow and improve more, but that that is what's there. And if you are not committed to this idea of democracy, the the rule of law, that the way the Constitution is supposed to work, then you're not American. Yeah. But you you yeah. you may be a loyal to your your society, to your culture, it's on. But you're not American in terms of yeah. believing in the American experiment, the American dream that was founded 250 years ago. Yeah. That, that's and, exactly uh, right. So, yeah. 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 And um, uh, I'll say this again. I've said this before. Democracy ultimately cannot function. I mean, other other this is true of other forms of government, but democracy cannot be at its best and democracy cannot uh, bring out, to quote Abraham Lincoln, the better angels of our natures. Right. It cannot happen apart from a people who are moral. 
right apart from people who are people of character you 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 have to uh uh you have to be be ethically centered and that what is right. most important is not what you want but what is right i still remember the 2000 election the contested election and the supreme court finally made the made the decision about florida that gave george w bush the election right and i remember al gore with his speech you probably mm -hmm. remember it too right sure who got up there and he said i vehemently disagree with the court's decision right but but i respect it i will right. abide by it right. that right. was a moment of character for al gore exactly that was a moment right. of character yep um that's not what we're that's not what we're hearing sometimes today oh not not at and, all yeah, and right. and so these th this thing cannot be sustained without people of character john john adams said that right. that the american people will will uh when it comes to character the american people will get the politicians that reflect them <laughs> right right yeah right. if you want right, yeah. if you want people of good character in office uh then then voters have to be people of good character otherwise right. it ain't going to happen well, and as I was as I was saying earlier, there is no perfect system. There is no system that's going yeah. to guarantee our state, our freedom, our stability. Uh, none of that is going to happen by the system. Yeah, and I don't think we should be thoroughly disillusioned or disheartened by the fact that there are now challenges to oh. to the system that we have because we've had challenges in the past. This our system is not natural. This is yeah. our system of democracy, checks and balances. Um, decentralized government, those type of things. That is not natural to human history. This is yeah. something new. This is an experiment we've been trying for a very short sliver of 250 years. And the only way that it continues is that it will occasionally be tested. Yeah. And the people have to decide all over again, do we want to continue with the experiment or not? And that's where we're at right now, is that we have a, it's a minority, but a loud, sizable minority that says we don't want to continue with the experiment anymore. Yeah. We, we want to do something different. And so the question is, what's going to prevail? Yeah. Are, are we going to continue the experiment or not? Yeah. yeah. And again, the checks and balances, again, the, for, for all the Hebrews of the Enlightenment and how, how wonderful we human beings were now, the, the founders also understood what happens to human beings when they get power. And that's why you've got the checks and balances. And, and you know, the, the, you're right to say it's against our nature. By the way, this is a very biblical thing. That, that you know that there's not something that's wrong with us, right? We're we're yeah, cracked. Right. We're not as we should be. We can right. be selfish. We can be self-centered, and also let us be honest and say at times we can just be stupid about right. things. And and so we need a way to be able to. I I need a way to put my own self in check right. uh, about these things, and so that even when I talk about the character of our leaders, even our leaders are still flawed. The, right. They may be people of good character, and I want people of good character in office. Um, but but uh, you know, they're also sometimes they get they run astray too, and that's right. what they. I was reading I was reading something a while back, Michael, about uh, term limits because of course that's always been uh, right. front and center. We should have term limits, and I so I was kind of curious. I didn't really know what the founders said anything about it, and um, I kind of assumed they didn't think about it but i found out from doing some reading is that they well yes they did think about it because the old articles of confederation had term limits 
Basically, okay. what I read from constitutional scholars is, is that the reasons the founders didn't put term limits is because they made the assumption that if a bad politician gets elected, it won't take a politician, they mean bad politician, they mean a politician right. without character, you know, who's a scoundrel. They made the assumption that the voters would realize it and vote them out of office. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they, right. they had this yeah. kind of view that, well, you know, yeah, it can happen. You right. can get a real scoundrel in there, but it won't take long before yeah. the people will realize this person's a scoundrel and out they go. Um, yeah. Not not so sure that has fared too well over time, to be honest. Always, yeah. Uh, yeah. it does. It does at times certainly work, but um, but the idea again was they put it back on the American people to say, right. you know what, this person does not have anybody's best interest at heart. This person right. is in it for himself. This person is self centered. This person, and we can't let this person back into office. They 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 assumed that term limits was the vote. If right. you want term limits, vote them out of office. Right. That was the there idea. That's what limits the term. <laughs> yeah, that's what limits the term. So anyway, oh, this is good. Michael, anything else we want to say for the good no, of the order? No, I think that's been a good discussion. It's, it has uh, been a good discussion. I'd, and I really would just like to see some more serious conversation about the way all of this works. And and uh, I, I'm concerned, I got to say this, I, I'm concerned about the current public view perception of the Supreme Court because over the years, by and large, there's been exceptions. Mm -hmm. But over the years, when trust of institutions like Congress and the White House and has been at lows, historic lows, the Supreme Court has always sailed above that. Right. Well, you can go through history and see it. The Supreme Court has right. always seems to be the respected institution. And um, right. I think there are those who have worked to undermine that. Uh, right. unfortunately. And again, I understand if uh, people at the court makes decisions they strongly disagree with, and that's part of our democracy. We get to say that. We get to, uh, you know, do all of that. But but there, but there, I want to say that for those all to work right, there's some deeper considerations that all of us have to reflect upon whether we right. agree with the current court's decisions or not. Right. Uh, absolutely. I, all I can say is amen. Yep. Okay. Right. All right. And no packing the court. We got nine justices. No. We don't need, we don't need, you know, if we get too many, I mean, it's hard enough to remember all nine of their names. If we get 13, exactly. or 14, you know, now I'm yeah. taking off my sh shoes and socks to count them all and name right. them. So we can't do that. I, I'm not sure that there's ever been in time where the answer to a problem was to build a bigger committee. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, you and I are press, you and I are mainliners. We know this. We, I always said that mainliners, main, the, the, the first answer mainline Protestants have to every dilemma is let's form a committee. Right? That's right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and then, if it, and if it's not working right, let's add more members. I mean, no kidding. Right. I don't, yeah, that isn't the solution. Because again, by the way, that will come to bite me in the butt. At some point, right. the court is going to be leaning liberal again. This happens. This, all right. this stuff goes in cycles. We get so short sighted yes. about the moment. This all right. goes in cycles. And at some point, our court is going to be leaning uh, judicially to the left. And that's, yeah. and so, you know, uh, it, it and you're you're and so if for all of those of you who are Democrats who want to pack the court, you're you're given precedent for conservatives in the future to do the same thing if they have the power. So right. just just stop this conversation. Yeah, we got nine yeah. justices. Let's live with it. Uh, you know, there's elections and presidents get to 
we should have talked a little bit now. It's you know the the <laughs> the confirmation process in Congress has become such a joke. Yeah, uh, right. It's it's such a joke, um, and and right. both parties have made it a joke. Um, yeah, that's another issue for another time. Um, another conversation to have that will not be solved here. So anyway. Well, Michael, thank you again for a great discussion. Friends, thank you. Please don't forget, click the subscribe button and help us out. Leave us a, leave us a thumbs up and give us uh, any comments and uh, maybe topics for the future, except for the kabuchin monkeys thing. Uh, <laughs> leave, leave us, uh, give us, give us some thoughts. We would love to have that. So this is Face Seeking Understanding. I am Alan Bevere. And the patron saint of face-seeking understanding is Anselm of Canterbury, who said, I do not understand in order to believe, but I believe in order to understand. Friends, keep seeking. Mm -hmm.